Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello, good afternoon, my name's Roy Taylor and welcome to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio programme dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals and this includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne and we're streamed live via the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Recent podcasts are also available on the 3CR website and the Freedom of Species podcast website, freedomofspecies.org, and all previous podcasts are available on iTunes. And in today's show, we have a speech given by vegan psychologist Claire Mann at the recent Animal Activist Forum held in Melbourne two weeks ago. And we've also got some announcements, some community announcements after that particularly from the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses, because this is the dark time of the year when the spring racing carnival, the awful carnival of cruelty, is on. So please think of the horses, the many horses that are sent to the knacker's yard and the slaughterhouse from, well, an industry that breeds More horses, because what's the science behind horse racing? It's as simple as that. You breed a lot. You take the ones at the top end of the bell curve of speed, and the rest, well, you don't need them. So, do all you can to oppose this carnival of cruelty. Go to Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses for details on the protests that are coming up over the next week. First, we'll hear something from Lawrence Pope. Is Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt of this great country, from Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Kootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats, that's independent radio, that's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species, I said the freedom of species. You know what to do, donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals and 3CR, wishing your species all the best. 
This morning I had uh, the misfortune to uh, be listening to the ABC, actually. What a uh, biased report that was on horse racing. It was basically uh, half an hour coverage of the racing industry's side when it comes to animal welfare. Quite awful, the ABC coverage. And oh, it's a good job we've got 3CR for an independent voice on the radio. So please, if you're not a subscriber, subscribe to 3CR because, well, the ABC, dreadful. Really, this morning's coverage of horse racing, absolutely dreadful. However, there is some good news. The good news is there's lots of really good activists around this country who are doing some sterling work for animals. And one of these is a psychologist based in Sydney. Her name is Claire Mann. And she spoke two weeks ago at Animal Activist Forum 2015. And we're going to hear that talk now. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Claire Mann. I'm a vegan psychologist, an author, and a trainer. And who came to Bruce Frederick's event just a few moments ago? Now, who is able to recite all those wonderful statistics he gave us? <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful when you were in a conversation that you just tripped off your tongue how many liters of milk, water it took to produce so much milk? How many greyhounds were killed last year? How many horse races on uh, Melbourne Cup Day or in the build-up to it are wastage? Because our argument is so much better, isn't it, when we can blind people with true statistics? When we're coming from extreme emotion and we say it's just wrong, which of course, of course it is, we know we don't have as much impact. So how do we have those conversations when we don't know everything in the moment? How can we stay in the conversation? How can we get people leaning forward to us saying, tell me more, knowing that we will be able to access all that wonderful information and send it to them later? That sound a good idea? Excellent. Okay. So what I'm going to do, firstly, thank you for everyone coming to the forum today. Um, there's a lot of people I haven't seen for over a year, and every time I come together with people, I just, we're seeing massive improvements. It often feels it's a very slow process. But I spoke to Karen Nielsen a moment ago um, from Animals Australia, and she said to me, how are things going? I said, I've got a lovely story for you. I said, somebody contacted me recently, and they were just watching the television one night. They were 62 years old, and the little Make It Possible video came on. And they said, that doesn't sound right. And she went online, she started to research where, um, how pigs were kept. And in about two and a half weeks, she was this, the most fierce abolitionist vegan animal person I've ever seen. A whole family, sorry, her children and grandchildren aren't allowed to bring one drop of milk or anything else into the house. She's 62 years old. So at any time, as Bruce Frederick said, we have an opportunity every day to talk about these issues and just realize that it's a bit like a relay. You do a piece of the work, you leave it, and then someone sees something on greyhounds. And then they see a bit of literature, and then they see something on the horses. And it's like a eroding process. We don't know that point at which someone is going to say, oh my gosh, I get it. All right, so that's our job. We often can't see. So really today is a bit of a celebration when we all come back together. So, but what do we do in everyday conversations? Now, I'm going to test your expertise, okay? <laughs> to see what our, our knowledge is like in the moment. Because if we were able to, to have these wonderful statistics to hand, people sort of back down, don't they, when you tell them these things. Okay, so I want you to put your hand up 
you can tell me how many animals at this moment in time are incarcerated in factory farms? Can anybody tell me that figure? No, I can't put my hand up either, okay? So we, we haven't got that to hand. Could anybody tell me um, how much protein there is in this broccoli? How it compares to uh, meat-based products, eggs, milk, meat, chicken. Anybody able to do that? What about calcium? Anybody know the evidence where the animal-based products um, take the calcium from the bones, in fact? There's evidence suggests that. Lovely. Gersh will bring this lady into the, our conversations very quickly. But it, we, we kind of know it happens, don't we? We know it's out there somewhere. And when we have a conversation with someone, wouldn't it be lovely? It was all to hand. Okay? So but we know it's out there. Gosh, let's try and get hold of it. Anybody know about the record for the, how many marathons were done consecutively in the world? Yes. Fantastic. Anybody know who this amazing Melbourne-based couple, I think they've just moved actually, are? Anybody not know who these are? Right. Okay. Somebody who does know, who are they? Jeanette and Alan? Yeah, they've got the... <laughs> Absolutely. So they're raw-based vegans. Um, Janine, Jeanette actually wrote a book called Raw Can Cure Cancer. Um, and she had a chronic situation where she was given a limited amount of time to, to live. And through a raw vegan diet, she turned her own health around. How many marathons could somebody do here? Could you do one? Who could do one marathon? <laughs> wow. Okay, so you know people who have done marathons. Anybody know anyone who's done a marathon? Great. How many marathons do you think they could do? Could just one a year? Two a year? This couple, now this should change the world in one move. This couple have done 366 marathons in one year. Think about it. One per day, and at the end, they did two a day. Now, in old money, where I come from, say, 20 years ago in England, what is that? That's 26 miles. It's over 50 Ks, isn't it, a marathon? 44. Thank you, Elizabeth. Whew, thank you, goodness, you're here. They, so they did 88 Ks on the last day. Isn't that extraordinary? On a raw, plant-based diet. Now, why aren't all the active sports people going, oh my gosh, why aren't I on a raw, plant-based diet? The fact that it's even possible to do one on a raw, plant-based diet, to, to run across the Nullabar on chia seeds, is for not, that's exactly what they did. They ran out of... Uh, food. But isn't that extraordinary? Now just imagine casually bringing that into conversation. And then people say, oh gosh, you need protein for this and you need your B12 and your calcium and whatever. And you say, actually, do you know that? Wouldn't it be amazing? You had that to hand. All right. We're still testing expertise. Anybody know how many liters of water it takes to produce one um, liter of milk? But we don't, you know, we think we do. Is it, is it, uh, 20 liters at 200 and we don't want to get it wrong because then someone says oh yeah you don't know what you're talking about but wouldn't it be wonderful we, when we listen to someone like bruce frederick he has it to hand okay anybody know how many greyhounds um die in the industry every year oh yes thank you jay how many 17 17 to 18,000 a year, okay? Casual conversation, people talking about our traditions, this is what we've always done. Um, and you say, well, actually, do you know about, okay? Okay, anybody know about emissions, the effect of the degradation on our land? Yep, we've got an expert here, but the majority of us actually don't know, do they? But we kind of know it. We come to events like this, we see documentaries, we go to vegan festivals, and we wish we could somehow harness that information. 
And yet, if all of us were to come together somehow and share the information we have at any time with a level of intensity, do we really, you know, show them earthlings to our family or do we actually give them a little bit of a tickle over here? It would be so much better, wouldn't it? But we don't have this information. So firstly, I want to produce some solutions today for us to deal in the moment. How do we stay um, effective in convincing so that people go, oh, yeah, I'm happy to be sent some information rather than them us looking as if we're or becoming disempowered because we don't know it. But what have I just demonstrated by asking that? That we're not all carrying the information around, including myself. Eh? But I've got to know my audience, haven't I? Because if I was talking to a conference here of scientists and I asked those questions, they'd all be putting their hands up. And my um, credibility wouldn't be as strong if I didn't have all that data to hand. So firstly, when we're talking to other people, and um, people often um, use phrases or words and in, imply that they know a lot of things. Have you ever noticed that um, whenever you start talking about vegetarianism or veganism, everyone becomes a nutritional expert? Have you noticed that? Suddenly they know, oh, we need that for protein. And B What about your B12? You know? And uh, it's a great pleasure to say to people about protein. I say, are you aware that in Australian medical history, there is not one case of protein deficiency except in state cases of starvation? There isn't actually a name for it. There's not a name. What's the name for protein deficiency? Oh, it, <laughs> and you must make that up. Right. Oh, I like that. Yes. Fantastic. Oh, great. We're going to mend the slides here. But, uh, no, but actually, it's because there is not one case except in starvation. Okay? Because all those people that don't have a vegan diet, of course, are looking so healthy, aren't they? There's no diabetes, no sort of conditions. But again, if we're able to, without blaming the other person or appearing smug or ranting, if we're able to genuinely talk about it as if it's our problem as well as theirs and we're genuinely interested in health, we have more credibility. Okay, so what I've sort of demonstrated is we don't really have all that information to hand, but we need to know, we need to know something about sharing those ideas effectively. Fair enough? Great. Okay. So when you're in a conversation with someone, um, I just said, if the, you're all scientists here, I would have to have a lot more sort of formal information, wouldn't I, to impress you, to give you evidence, counter information, um, to... Um, oppose the information or spread a new um, word um, about veganism. But so when we're actually with people, we've really got to ask a lot more questions because we've got to actually realize, you know, what facts does that person have? What level of expertise? Okay, because if we give too much information as well, people often back off or feel we're showing off. But also, if there's someone who is um, has trained in a specific area. I love it on Facebook. You've probably seen it where there's a little bit of a discussion about um, food and veganism and, and animal rights and whatever. And someone says, well, I'm a nutritionist, so I'm just about to tell you all this stuff. In other words, anything I say, you can't criticize because I've been trained in the subject. Okay, now how often do people do that? Now, I'm a, I'm a psychologist, but I don't say you've got no right to comment on anyone's behavior because you're not a formal psychologist. What a load of nonsense. <laughs> okay, I apologize to anyone who's actually done that on, online. But we tend to do it because we don't want criticism. Okay, so what we don't want to do, we want to partner with people. We don't know everything. We're in a conversation. We have this huge amount of information and resources, but we haven't got it in our heads. And of course, the longer we go and the more we talk about it, we tend to remember things. Okay, we've got to also see about culture and values. 
is actually cultures are different, traditions are different. We need to know something about where people are coming from. So when we lay information out in front of them, uh, I wouldn't be talking to my Muslim friends necessarily you know, right up about the pork industry because they're probably, they're not eating it, <laughs> okay? But I might want to share things around social justice around that. The what's in it for me, in other words, these are little markers. We're trying to find out where are people from when we're choosing what information to share with them. And we have to ask it, the what's in it for me. Some people are not interested in the environment, in world poverty, in animal rights. They're interested in themselves primarily, and health is, of course, of great interest to all of us, but it's no good ranting on about the other things we want to tell them because they'll just zone out. What we want is that they lean forward with something that's of interest to them, and then we can tease all that other wonderful stuff in, okay? And empathy. Bruce Frederick, a moment ago, was, was just talking about, there's very few people in the general public, if we went up to them and, uh, and asked them certain things, would they be prepared to enact certain cruelty? And the vast majority of people would not. Okay? So, you know, it's what well, we have to test those levels of empathy because the person who says, oh, don't show me that, is not indifferent. They're, they're in denial. They don't want to hear about it because it's too painful. Don't tell me. Okay? Um, that's not good enough as far as we're concerned, of course, nor it is for others. But we have to assess, well, where are they? It's a very different person that says, I don't care, to don't show me. That shows you they do care, but their, their pain threshold is very low at that moment, and they, they don't know what to do with the pain. Now, a lot of our job is, is to raise the pain slightly and then to transmute it into a solution. So that instead, instead of people becoming depressed or turning it on themselves or blaming you as the messenger. So we need to assess where people are. We know that information's out there. We haven't all got it in our heads. So uh, how do you respond when people say things like, uh, or whether they're, they're experts in a particular field. Okay, so you're standing with someone, it could be someone in your family, your dad's a GP or something, and, and gives all this information. How do you respond to that? So I'm raising a lot of what-ifs at the moment, I realize, but I'm going to give you some sort of strategy to actually deal with this. Okay, how, do we, how could we have a little formula with ourselves that whatever their expertise was, we would still be able to have an intelligent conversation? Whether they're the top professor in nutrition, we'd still be able to have a sensible discussion and get them staying in a conversation, feeling empowered, putting our information aside. Because I don't know about you, but if I was speaking to a um, professor of nutrition, it's going to be very different than actually speaking to a friend about this. Because you know you have to be on top of your game at least to, to refer to certain studies or something. Okay? So it's little what-ifs here. What about when people resist or deny what you tell them? That would never go on. The government would never allow it. Anybody have those? Anybody say those things? What do we say? Okay, anybody got any idea? What do you say back when someone does that? What's your normal reaction? It's the truth, exactly. So, you know, you're, it's an emotional reaction, am I right? It's like, well, of course it is. Do they think they tell us all the truth? Okay. Anybody know what's happening in the brain whilst we're getting irritated and annoyed? Emma, you probably you do, of course. <laughs> yes. We have a psychologist here who's <laughs> a very wonderful animal um, person from Animal Liberation. When we're agitated and annoyed and people resist it and say the government would never allow that to happen, this would never go on in industries. They don't treat animals like that. We become agitated. We get angry. 
we become resistant, we become despairing. When that happens, our blood flow goes to the back of the brain. Okay, what we call the reptilian brain or the lizard brain. I like lizards and reptilians. <laughs> so the blood goes back there. Then we're unable to access the frontal cortex, which is our decision-making process. Okay? So that's what we call fight or flight. And anyone's ever seen road rage? People literally see red. We call that the red zone. Anybody know about this? It's neuroscience of catching up with us. When we feel calm, relaxed, empowered, in this case, to have these sort of conversations, regardless of the expertise of the other, our blood flow goes to the front of the brain. Okay, we're then able to access our decision-making processes. We're able to convey information, even though we don't have all those facts and statistics. Now, we're talking about really emotive subjects. We feel agitated and upset about the information we know. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So our, I need you to know that your blood flow, a lot of the time when you're upset or you're despairing or you're shocked at what you know and wondering what you're going to do with that information, your blood tends to go to the back of the brain. Then we can't be as eloquent. We cannot hold the person in the conversation, even, if, with, even without the statistics and the information. Now, what is interesting, I'll give you a technique in a moment for doing something about that, is what is interesting is there is a contagion effect. And we know this because children in school, there's, there could be a good teacher and a not-so-popular teacher. And we find that where the teacher's flow of blood is in their brain, the children tend to move in that direction. Isn't that interesting? Who had a favorite teacher here? Yeah, what was it? Can you tell me what your, why your, it was a favorite teacher? What was it about them? Yeah, exactly. Did she pull rank, he or she? They didn't pull rank on you, they didn't treat you like, you know, I'm the boss sort of thing. They weren't um, authoritative. They had empathy. They cared about you. Yeah, what about your favorite teacher? Yes, exactly. These are all the lovely attributes of the teachers that we like. Mine was Miss Andrews when I was five. I still remember her teacher. Anyone a teacher here? Yeah, a very important job. We're holding the, the reins for the next generation. Okay, so... What we find is that two teachers can do their jobs absolutely professionally. And one teacher has a rowdy class and the, in general, and the other one has a class that is more relaxed. And we find that the, the, the difference is the teacher that, on gen general, has their um, a relaxed class, their blood flow is to the front of the brain. And the children, like a little contagion effect, their blood all moves to the same direction. Isn't that extraordinary? So what we used to think of is um, some people have intuition and they have certain powers, the X factor. It's actually neuroscience is now catching up with these things called intuition and all the things that we tend to know, okay, from our everyday life. Now, it therefore means that if you're agitated when you're talking about these issues and then you feel someone's pulling rank on you because they're the expert and they've got no empathy and they're resisting and denying, I want you to imagine your blood goes to the back of the brain subtly, they will probably become a little bit more anxious. Or, of course, you can follow their lead and follow where they are. If they feel anxious and they're saying, hey, I don't want to know about this. We have got to be in control of ourselves. Okay? So when we're at the, what we see is that these teachers that we liked, they had great empathy. Empathy, coaching, a participative style, believing we've got a friend that we confide in who genuinely is there for us, that can actually move our brain from agitation to a state of calm. Now, in the moment, of course, we have to do that ourselves. So what you do is to slow your breathing down, literally visualize the blood coming to the front, and do what a good parent would do, is to parent yourself, is to calm down, 
take a deep breath, slow down. Okay. If you're on your own and you're watching some footage or you've come out of a situation, animal issues or not, and you feel agitated, this is a technique to move you to that part of the brain. Now, I find that fascinating, that information. All right, so slowing the breathing down, giving yourself the pep talk in a way a, a good parent would have helped to self-soothe the child. So we have a part to play. When we manage ourselves, we're in a state of readiness to speak to other people. But we still don't have all that data, do we, Vanyo? We wish we had. What do we do when they appear indifferent, of course? Do we ram more information down their throat? They're likely to shoot the messenger then, of course. We don't necessarily need to do that. But what we need to do is to at least move them in some sort of direction. And what about when they don't change immediately? Okay. I recently sent someone, um, they, I had a hot chocolate. It was a, a manager at quite a large organization in Sydney. And I had a soy hot chocolate. And she just asked me, didn't I have milk? And a conversation started up. And so she asked me, well, could you send me some information? You know that wonderful moment, what do I send someone? Okay, so um, we had a wonderful thing happen in Sydney recently. I don't know if anyone's here from there, where a couple of uh, individuals from the activism group went out to town hall with a computer and showed um, three minutes of Earthlings. Okay, anybody know about that at town hall? But what they then did, and they did it in exchange for one dollar or a vegan cupcake. And then what they did was to film the responses of the people watching this because they gave them earphones, and you can imagine the horror on their faces. They saw three minutes of an hour and a half movie. So I decided with this manager, um, I said, well, one of the best things I can probably show you to give you some idea of a taster is to, I'm going to show you this um, nine-minute video, which shows you the reactions of the Sydney public that only happened last week, and then it's going to show you those three minutes. Okay, so she said, no, that's fine. I said, but what you really need to watch, because I knew her over a bit of time, is, you know, if you can dare to do this, i.e. to be true to yourself and to, you know, your, what you're asking me, you can't deny it's not happening, I'd like you to watch this film by Earthlings. And, um, and I told her it's going to be very challenging for you to watch, and it's the, ex you know, extension of what you've watched there. She took a little while to come back, and she contacted me and said... I felt physically sick watching this, Claire. But do you think there's, you know, isn't there regulation for looking after these animals? Can't we do it better? Anybody watched Earthlings here? How do people honestly watch that and talk about, can we do it with a smile on our face? But I jumped to conclusions because I, meet, I thought I took a deep breath. I just about to harangue her and have a go and say, gosh, are you a sociopath or a psychopath? You know, what is going on here? And I went back and I said, hey, I'm just a little bit... Well, she, firstly, she wrote to me. And I, she said to me, hey, I haven't heard back from you, Claire. You know, when I told you that, um, I hope I haven't offended you. I said, well, you can't offend me without my permission, but that's not really the issue at stake here. I, I don't, honestly don't know how to respond at the moment, and I'm going to. I need to check out, did you watch the three minutes or the hour and a half? And she said, I didn't dare to watch the hour and a half. I only watched the three minutes. Whew, thank goodness for that. And then, of course, that opened up another conversation is, I'm so glad you clarified that because if you hadn't, we'd be having a very difficult, different conversation. But, of course, she now knows that there's something in that, movie, that film, that documentary. Why am I telling you that situation, Ray? Number one, I jumped to a conclusion. When we show people something, they don't change immediately because some people won't. Some people say, surely we can do it in a humane way. 
And instead of attacking them, we've got to see them as moving along a continuum of awareness. And our job is to move them along. Like that 62-year-old lady who just watched the Make It Possible and she was just about there. For other people, it will take much longer. Right. I've just mentioned then. So I'm going to give you about four different things. We've got all these different situations. We don't know everything. We've got people that resist us, that are experts, that have different levels of empathy and expertise. We're going to do four different things, some techniques I'm going to show you. The first one I've kind of explained before the slide came up, which is about staying in what we call the blue zone. The blue zone is the frontal cortex. That's what we call the red zone back there. So someone who's been involved in road rage, they literally say, I see red. And what we're going to do is move ourselves from the back to the front. Can anybody tell me, how do we move from the back to the front? Yep, think about it, become really aware, slow your breathing down. What else are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to visualize the blood moving from the back to the front, and you're going to do that self-soothing talk. It's okay. Just take a few deep breaths here. Now, you're in the middle of standing in front of a scientist. This will come automatic. <sighs> okay? Because sometimes you just want to go for the jugular, don't you? You want to attack them and, and tell them a meat-eating, murdering carnist. Is that just me? <laughs> but that's not going to help because they're just going to think you're an aggressive person and they just shoot the messenger. But also, if we're feeling like that, but we've got a smile on our face, we've just learned that we can't get away with it. Because if we're in the red zone, they're going there too. Unless they're self-awareness, that means that we can self-manage that. All right? So the first thing is we stay in the blue zone. The next one is we assess where they are on the continuum of awareness. When you're talking to anybody about issues of animal cruelty, eating animals, wearing animals, testing on animals, or just the awareness as a, a society that we need to wake up to, um, you need to roughly assess where they are. So are they totally resisting and I, will, I don't want to know about that? Or are they ready to change? Because then our discussion is very different. If we throw too much down this end very quickly... And also of a nature that is not of interest to them, we've got less chance of actually them asking for more information. I was actually speaking at Macquarie University um, on World Environment Day with that lovely guy Costa, you know, the sort of long hair. He really supported what I was saying. I was just about to talk to them. And they never had anybody talk about animal issues on World Environment Day on that topic. That's really given what we know about the uh, effect on the environment of those eating habits. It would seem important. And they were speaking to the, audi the audience, and one guy, after my talk and telling them about where food really came from and telling them I knew I wasn't going to get a round of applause, this one guy started the conversation, well, thank you for your talk, Claire. Um, I'm never going to become a vegetarian. Um, but now, how could I have responded to him? What would you say to someone like that? Where is he, this guy? <laughs> slap him. Absolutely. The slapper. He needs a slap, that guy. Absolutely. <laughs> that's right absolutely so you know you've sort of been there that's right but do we want to slap him and say you know what, what's what else could we have said to him where where is this guy he's telling me down sort of he's he's afraid he's going to be convinced isn't he really because he had to say he's resisting too much this guy <laughs> oh yes but it's not for me no no i it's good enough for my father and his father before him <laughs> And where do you get your B12 and your protein and everything else? <laughs> and what do we do with barbecues and all that sort of stuff? 
Absolutely. Yeah, we've got all those things we can say, haven't we? And um, what I decided to do after gulping is I sort of immediately thought, he's making a statement, you know, don't push me. I've already told you, so we're not in a conversation here, Claire. And I said, gosh, why would you be so mean to yourself? You know, we've just shared with you a way you can have more energy, more vitality, have, you know, there's lower diabetes, low, low sort of heart rate and whatever. Gosh, you're not even going to give it a go. Why, why are you so awful to yourself? <laughs> of course, they go, oh, no, no, I'm not awful to myself. I'm just saying. And, of course, he heard his own voice because he had sort of, and I was genuinely, it wasn't sarcastic. It was like, why, you, why would you cut off an option for anything that might improve your life? But, you know, all the responses we've had is you're the one in the conversation. But if we've got somebody ready to change, then we're just sort of pushing them over, which means we've got to learn about a word that often people resist, particularly in activism. It's a very rude word, isn't it, Elizabeth? Okay, it's called selling. We have become, I've got to become expert salespeople. What are we selling? What are we selling? Are we selling? Do you resi anybody resist that notion? We're selling. Sorry. Yep, and you know them. What are they? Yep, peace, absolutely, diet, health, environment, an ideology. Okay, but how many people think of it as selling? Yeah, what do people think about selling? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, what do people think about selling? Okay, well, I'll give you some. Well, I'll ask you again this as we move along. So we're assessing where they are. Okay, but we're going to move into, therefore, how do we move them to actually close the sale, i.e. move them over to the light side? Did I say that? <laughs> okay, now another thing about resistance, I gave you a few little continuums a moment ago, but um, always find what I call the hooks, okay? See where they are. Do they want to hear that guy said, well, I'm going to just put the barrier up just in case. But find out, are they interested in health, environment, social justice? Are they interested in jobs in the outback? Are they interested in economy? Um, it doesn't, whatever it is, is that your hook? So whatever they're talking about and they're asking about health, we don't want to tell them about what happens to baby pigs. Okay, that comes later. Okay, you'd start to talk about health. You start to talk about environment. And hey, by the way, did you know? Okay, you tease it in a different way. But we've got to move into being salespeople. Okay? Before we do that, we've got to maintain rapport with people. We haven't got all that information to hand. We might feel agitated by their responses. They might know more than us in theory about a certain area. Okay? So we've got to maintain rapport. What's rapport? Sorry? Yeah, it's getting on really well, isn't it? You know when you're in rapport, don't you? Everything just flows. You're having a bit of a laugh. What's rapport? How would we recognize rapport if we saw it? Yeah. There's an interest, and you feel you're being the person's interest in you, don't you? It sort of flows. Anybody ever been to those events, and someone's looking over your shoulder as they're talking to you, and you know they're more interested than the person behind, and you sort of go like that? <laughs> That's only happens to me. <laughs> okay? But when there's rapport, things are easy, aren't they? You feel you're being listened to. You're having a bit of a laugh. You're on the same side. Our blood moves to the front of the brain. We have to, when we're talking about these really difficult issues, in fact, the really difficult information we need to convey, we need to stay in rapport. And you know when you're losing it, don't you? People start to get a bit agitated or whatever. So you're going to stay in rapport. So firstly, you're going to stay in the blue zone. 
You can identify where they are on the continuum of awareness and, and also what the hooks are, the environment, the health, the, the whatever. You're going to practice keeping rapport, which is generally asking them some questions, not just diving in and sort of... Um, you know, often people, when people resist something, you maybe tell them. Um, we try to give them more information. Ask them a question. You know, so how much do you know about the greyhounds? You know, it's, um, oh, I saw that thing on the television. It was terrible. Yeah, what did you think about it? Do you know what goes on in the training? As opposed to us giving them the information, let them come forward. Because people like to hear their own voice, of course. But you're assessing the audience in the same way that I did this when I came in. I, I, I presume people will be in the same boat as me and they wouldn't know all this information in their heads. But actually, I don't know. You might be all scientists. And then we're going to keep rapport. We're going to ask them questions. We're going to um, ask them for explanations. Can you clarify what you mean? Okay, why do you say that? You know, it, that's interesting what you're saying. But without sarcasm, <laughs> without judgment, because you're keeping the rapport as you tease the information in. And we learn to sell. We're learning to sell. Now, anybody know who this guy is? Anybody from England? It's Arthur Daly, used car specimen. <laughs> anybody remember that program? I couldn't think what it was called, the thing. Minder. Anybody remember the Minder film? Okay, we're just giving our age away now, aren't we? <laughs> it was in the 1970s. Now, but I'm quite serious here because we have to, we are selling, as this gentleman here said, a lot of very important opportunities. We're selling pleasure. We're selling health. We're selling vitality. We're selling a, you know, removal of word poverty. Yeah, a clean conscience. All these wonderful things. But the other people don't know it at the moment or they're resistant to it because there's a lot of psychic defenses. I'm going to go through each of these and actually just tell us a little process of how we, when we're in that conversation and we don't know everything, how we're going to do it. All right. Does that sound good? Would you tell me if it wasn't? <laughs> good. All right. So we're going to look at the plain and pleasure motivators of people because that happens with all selling. If you're going to buy a car, people think about the reward. Oh, I'd love to be driving in that car. Or, you know, oh, that one's going to cost me a lot of money. I can't afford the payments. Okay? Your plain, pain and pleasure motivators is what keeps people awake at night. Um, I'm going to tell you why selling is like kissing. Anybody know that? Who likes kissing? <laughs> okay? You're going to adopt a sales process, reduce their resistance, and then close the sale, i.e., they will become either an animal activist um, individual or they become a vegan. All right, which is a person whose life is underpinned by these principles. Now, so the first thing is of these four processes, we've got to know, if we're, think about it, when you buy something, what do people buy? Let's think about it. Um, or what makes a, a purchasing decision? Okay, let's have a look. You're going to buy a new car, Emmanuel? Value for money, that's right. You're sort of weighing it up. But, but in terms of what you want is think about pains. Okay, your other car's broken down. It's inefficient. You're always late for work. You're getting huge repair bills. That's his pain. Okay, and the bigger it goes and he's, he's getting in late for work and he's costing him more and more money on the old car, his pain is going up. He wants the problem solved. Um, pleasure ones is, you know, some people like cars more than others. For me, I don't even know the difference between different cars. <laughs> but that um, a pleasure thing, and it could be anything. But, you know, if it's you're having a hair done or you're buying an item of clothing or it may be different for everybody else all in this room. But we know that people think, I really want that. I don't need it, but it's giving me pleasure. Okay, so that's why another thing is why people buy things. And then there's things to do in the future that they might invest in, but it doesn't keep them awake at night. 
When we're trying to get people to, to move over to adopting a different solution, i.e. taking the solution of um, living a cruel, compassionate and cruelty-free life and being a vegan, for instance, um, we have to, um, it's about identifying what they're in them. Now, if a person is very much overweight, they've got high blood pressure, high diabetes, what would you talk to them about if you wanted? What's their pain? Health. Exactly. So we don't necessarily want to talk about animal social justice at this stage. We've got to find out what their pain motivators are. You're listening to Freedom of Species Animal Activism on the Airwaves on 3CR 855 AM. And this is a broadcast of a speech given by Claire Mann, a vegan psychologist, at the recent Animal Activist Forum 2015 held in Melbourne two weeks ago. We're going to go back to that speech now. Pleasure motivators. Okay, any animal person who lays awake at night thinking about sow crates, their greatest pleasure is when they see massive gains in those cages gone. Okay, that's what we're heading towards and we're trying to keep that in our head. When we hear lovely things like the law changing or um, you know, protection for animals, our pain goes up when we hear about those, um, those protections disappearing. Okay? So, but in the process of when we're talking to other people and convincing them, we need to know what is going on for them. Are they interested in the environment? Do they lay awake at night wondering if their children will have enough water? That's their pain motivator. And so you need to know about that pain if you're going to sell them a solution that actually they can contribute to a better world. All right? And then things to do, that's the things people put on the back burner they'll do one day. It's not keeping them awake at night. Okay? So is this making sense? All right? So the first thing is we need to identify that. Remember, it was a four-stage process. The next one is that you've got to realize that selling is like kissing. Why is selling like kissing? <laughs> well, it depends who you're kissing, doesn't it? <laughs> selling is like kissing because you can't kiss someone who's leaning away from you. Can you? If someone's going like that, you're trying to kiss them. It's very difficult. Would you agree? Yeah. <laughs> So if we're trying to tell them about animal social justice in a compassionate world, we want them leaning forward. And they're much easier to kiss then. Okay, so how do we get them leaning forward? Not by blinding them with so much information or horror or shock or pain, thinking that they'll lay awake like us. We've got to get their interest so they lean forward. We do that because we've identified the pain and pleasure motivators. Okay, what are they really going? That's our hooks. Okay, what they're really interested in. I, you know, I've, um, I know someone who came to an uh, event with me last year and um, he saw eight minutes of the Animals Australia factory farm footage. And he said, well, I don't really want to give up meat, but what I'm really concerned about for my children is the environment. Deep breath, breathing, slowing down, getting your blood to the front of the brain. Um, and uh, that's what he needed to talk about. So I asked him, we started to talk about that. I didn't have all the information to hand, but I had lots of links and lots of things I could send him. And then I teased in, and it's actually, you know, and through that process, as you saw in the video I said to him, is, you know, this animal issue is, is another issue. I teased it in. But that, I get him leaning forward. Oh, really? Can you tell me how this is going to affect the water and the future of the planet for my children? Then he's leaning forward. Then I can actually start to talk to him about things that are important. Now, then we've got our sales process. All right. Now I'm doing this whizzing through. Are there any people that do sales for a job here, whether you're working in a store or what sort of things do you sell? 
Vegan food. Oh, fantastic. That's, uh, that's not a job, is it? That's a hobby. That's, that's a joy. That's a <laughs> yeah, but you also know you're selling the value of that, aren't you? You're actually selling, I think is like marketing. It's selling our love of our product or service with people that are saying, please give me a solution to my problem. So when Emmanuel goes through a new car, he's laid awake at night because his car's not working, he's turning up late to work, his credit card bill's going up with the repairs, and someone comes along and says, I've got this fabulous, you know, high economy, beautiful car, it's going to cost you very little, uh, we've got to sail on for today, <laughs> is, um, you know, you're, you're actually responding to that. You're give, I'm giving you, I'm sharing my love of my product or service to give you a solution. So selling doesn't have to be a dirty word. All right. Same thing for us. When people come in, you know, you're offering them a solution, aren't you? To so, so many levels. So it just probably doesn't feel like selling. Exactly. And they start to see that you're selling the benefits, in other words. So the only thing is, though, we have to get, how do we get people who are resisting, potentially, or they're a little bit low on the continuum? We're trying to move them along, aren't we? Okay? It may not happen in one conversation. In fact, often is very unlikely. But we've got to, each conversation is moving them along that continuum of awareness. Okay? So let's have a look at our little sales process here. Our sales process is we've got to learn to reduce their resistance. This is a, a mountain because it's called Mucknut. Anybody heard of Mount Nut? Mount Nut, to remember a, little, a few little why people are going to resist any sales um, we're making towards them, but we're at this moment of selling a compassionate world. A complete, we want them to change their behavior. We want to make different choices. Okay, so what is the McNutt? It is. People often reduce an idea we're trying to give to them for five reasons. And you'll probably you can tell me what um, you think about this in selling your vegan food. It's here we go. It's money, time, need, urgency, and trust. That makes sense. Think about your own sales decisions when you go in and buy something. Do I afford to do that, don't I? So people say, oh, I could never become a vegan. It's going to cost me a bomb. I've got three children and I just couldn't afford. I have to buy processed, cheaper food. Okay. So that is their resistance. It's money. So we're not going to talk about animal social justice here. We're going to talk about money to them. We're going to talk about the health giving property. The fact you don't have to keep going to the doctor and paying them to visit them. You're not going to have to buy all these medicines. You're not going to have time off work. Okay, so you're reducing the resistance by talking about their resistance to something. Time. Oh, I don't have time to cook healthy meals. Oh, no, I've got nothing, you know. It's, um, oh, it takes so long, that vegan cooking and buying all those vegetables and things. Is that true? <laughs> okay, so you'd actually, you know, instead of saying, don't be silly and that slap we're going to give them, we say, really, what, why, what makes you say that? Well, when I get home, the last thing I want to be doing is cooking every night. Well, have you ever considered that if you made a big batch of chili, <laughs> you could actually put it in the freezer and then the meal's there ready for you? Small things like this, but you're, you know, I'm just using the, that example, but it's the same with any of these discussions. Need doesn't bother me. I'm not interested. I don't lie awake at night at this. Never thought about it, really. You know, what happens to animals, okay? Or, you know, having that sort of diet, okay? So then you've got a different thing. There's very few, if you're having a conversation, we know that the solution of living in a compassionate world and having a more healthy lifestyle and the effects on environment, poverty, animals is just so out of proportion. They don't know they've got a need, so you've got to agitate the need on this one, okay? <laughs> and you actually say, that's interesting when you say you're not interested. How much do you know about this when I talk about compassion? And usually it's because people don't, haven't even asked the questions. 
And then you, you partner with them and say things like, you know, there was a time when I didn't actually realize all this was going on. And then I started to lift the lid. And, and I get really annoyed when people don't tell me the truth and how much we're duped. You're talking generally as another human being and saying, look, we're in this together. You're agitating the need, in other words. Okay, because when you start, when the person that goes, don't tell me, it's because you've agitated a pain in them. And what we want to do, of course, agitate it enough that they want a solution, not withdrawal and denial, but, oh my gosh, what can I do to take this away? And then we've got urgency. Well, yeah, it's something I'll think about in the future. Okay, can they think about their health in the future? So urgency, I can do that in the future. Again, we want to share information with them that moves them along. And then trust. Do they trust you? When they come into your shop, they, if they trust you, you look healthy. You glow. Okay? You are a walking um, example of what vegan living can be. That's what we've got to also have ourselves. If we're attacking them, our blood flows at the back of the brain, and we're agitating them, we're not a good example. If we're calm, we're professional, we listen to them, we don't judge them, we move them towards that reducing their resistance, we're in a better situation. Okay, so we're reducing their resistance, our sales process. Ask people for permission to challenge them. Okay, well, I'm going to share some information with you. Do you mind if I share this with you? It's a little bit challenging. You get their permission because if they bail out two minutes later, you can refer back to the contract you made. It's so simple. It's anything. When you're talking about anything with people, make a contract. And they say, oh, no, I've got to go now. Well, that's exactly why I said I needed five minutes. Can we stay in the conversation while I just share this? You know, if you've started telling them something. Um, always use we. There was a time when I felt that too. Do you know, we're really duped by what goes on. Don't talk about you being, act as if you're converted and they're in the dark and you're going to move them into the light. We're allowed to talk about that in this room. But, you know, it is pretty smug as well, isn't it? We, none of us like that when people talk to us like that. And actually, we're all in a situation, as the lady a moment ago remembered, when we didn't know about these things, and we wish we knew a long time ago. Share responsibility of opinions. So often, we're defending ourselves or giving the information. Is, you know, when someone says to you, so, um, so why are you an animal activist? And say, okay, I'll answer that, and you tell me why you're not. <laughs> Okay? Uh, I think you're terrible, Claire. You feed your dogs on vegan food. That's awful imposing your values. Well, it's not just vegans that bring their values to the dinner table, is it? <laughs> okay? We, you know, we, in other words, you get them to take responsibility for what they're saying. Oh, I was terrible. You know, we need meat for a protein diet. What do you mean by that? Can you give me some evidence? Let's not do all the work. All right? These are just little techniques within our little sales thing. Um, assess their knowledge. We've already looked at that, and I'm aware of time. Is where are they on that continuum? And, and be philosophical. If you feel the, you're losing the rapport, generalize a little bit. Back off a little bit from trying to push them down that line. Is, you know, well, as I was saying, you know, this is really big information. And, uh, you know, it's, you just move away from the individual stuff. I'm telling you about your health. You suddenly realize you're really unwell. You need to adopt this diet. And you go, how am I going to tell my wife or partner or whatever? Is, so you just become more philosophical is, you know, you know, it's a bit of information I've shared with you. It's a bit, you know, there's a lot to take in there. But, you know, generally, you know, when we look widely, you see I'm becoming more philosophical. I take the pressure off the person. You do that whenever you feel you're losing rapport. Don't keep throwing information at them. Then we've got to follow up and close the deal. How many people have shared information with people, but they don't go back and check? Did you watch the film? What did you think about it? Okay. Now, we've got somebody, the founder of our Sydney Vegan Club here, over there. He's going to be speaking to us tomorrow. Um, you know, we, we regularly run Earthlings movies. We bring our friends and our colleagues along. You know, the members there are encouraged to follow people up. 
you know, largely because it's quite shocking to watch that. And after the event, they can talk about it, of course, in the evening. But what actually we need them to say, well, where are you on that? Because um, often people, the information is so challenging and they're busy in their lives, they don't go any further. Our job, in the same way that if I was trying to sell that car to you that I know you want and your credit card bill's high and it keeps breaking down, I think I have a moral and ethical responsibility to share it with you. I don't sell cars, by the way. <laughs> you know, if I'm in my integrity, and I'm not talking about selling him something he doesn't want, we have to do the same thing too, follow these people up. So we've got a sales process. All right, now. Now, how are you going to remember all of this stuff? can think, gosh, she's gone all over the place here. We start off by talking about that and that. She told us she was going to tell us a promise and something exciting. Do you remember that? I'm going to do that in a second. But the key thing is, is that you want to stay in the blue zone. You want to keep rapport with people. You want to do that self-management. You want to adopt a sales process, i.e. you're moving them along a continuum and you want to follow them up. Often people's resistance is because they haven't got time, they haven't got money, they think it's too much work, they don't know what their families would do, this is my tradition, um, what people will laugh at me, etc. Find out what their resistance is. Now, the thing is, it's very hard to remember this stuff, isn't it? And when you're in a conversation, does anybody ever wish that they could access some information in the palm of their hand and suddenly go, oh gosh, what do I say about B12? I don't, I don't necessarily have all the information with me, but if I could have an intelligent conversation, would that be helpful? Good. Okay. I'm glad about this. So I'm, we're just going to look at the volume on this very short little video. I want you to, a um, little while ago, the Sydney Vegan Club, I was asked to partake of the 30-day challenge, and I produced 30 um, bits of information on communication skills tips. How do we deal with questions like, where do you get your protein? What happens if we don't eat animals? They'll overrun the planet. That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> um, what do I say to my family who say, why aren't you coming home for Christmas? What, why don't you come home for Thanksgiving? All the things that we, or the government would never allow, never allow cruelty. And together, Kim Staten, myself, um, Robin Tutor, and Angela, who did a wonderful food blogger, we produced the 30-day challenge. A huge number of people have gone through that. Sydney Vegan Club's over 5,500 members. Is, so what I've done is to, I'm just going to show you one little, I've turned one of these into a video. Would you like to see it? Okay, on resistance for change. Can we make sure the volume's up when I begin it? Hopefully this is going to work on our little machine. Now often people say to you, I could never give up meat or dairy because I just love the taste so much. Now before you have a strong reaction to that, Remember that many people just don't understand what goes on in the production of their food and the consequences for animals, people and the environment. So your job is to try and ascertain their level of knowledge. Maybe they're saying they don't care or that their taste buds are more important than wondering about the consequences. But often there's a level of guilt and people use bravado to try and cover that up. So before you react, your job is to ascertain what do they know about the production of food, and if I was to give that to them, would they react differently? Or is the statement coming from a place of thinking that vegan food is bland and tasteless? Now, if they don't know anything about the food production, you could say something like, I also like tasty food, but I learned that meat and dairy production involves enormous suffering for animals and ultimately the loss of their lives. Can I tell you more about this so you can see what's involved? In other words, you make a contract. If they give agreement, share the information without judgment of their current choices. Offer to show them more information through literature and films. This will increase their understanding. If they resist the information, 
In other words, if they don't care or they say, I don't want to hear any more, you can say something like, okay, what you seem to be saying is that our taste buds are more important than animal suffering and the enormous cruelty and misery does to satisfy our taste buds. Note the use of the word are, our taste buds, our habits. This minimises their sense of feeling judged. You could say, I certainly don't believe this is acceptable. I find that people don't really know what's going on. Can I send you a link to this footage or a film, etc., so that you can see more on this, and perhaps we can have a conversation afterwards? I also wonder if you assume that vegan food is tasteless and bland. Do you know vegan food is amazing, and it's fantastic for your health? How does it get better than this? So it's very important to ask questions and ascertain where people are coming from. Remember, you are moving them along a continuum of lack of awareness to full awareness. But you've got to know your audience, because if you were to launch in about animal cruelty, when they're just making a statement that they believe vegan food is bland, you could lose that person. Now, you also see in the responses I gave, use the word our, our taste bud, our understanding. It makes a sort of sense that we're all in this together and somehow we've been duped. So by doing this, you get people leaning forward and more open to reading and watching the material that you will send them. You're listening to Freedom of Species Animal Activism on the Airwaves. That was a talk given by Claire Mann at Animal Activist Forum 2015. Now, we're running out of time, but I'm just going to make... Uh, Two quick notices. First of all, this is the dark days of the spring racing carnival going on, the Carnival of Cruelty. Please go to the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses website and Facebook page to learn about the protests that are coming up over the next week or so, so you you can do all you can and join in to fight against the cruel racing industry. Second quick notice is that Sydney Fox Rescue is involved in an ongoing battle with the government regarding banning private ownership of foxes and some of the legal issues, including curtailing their freedom of speech. They're going to launch a new group as well, Introduce Species Welfare and Education League. Go on to Sydney Fox Rescue on Facebook and you'll learn more about that. The launch date is on November the 14th. There's going to be gala night at Newtown Shopping Centre in Sydney. Cocktails and Canapes, great event there. So that's I-S-W-E-L, Introduced Species Welfare and Education League. I've been Roy Taylor, this has been Freedom of Species, and our show's coming to an end. Next off, we have Encyclopedia. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.